the Steve Dunn Podcast. I am joined today by three lawyers, Rocky Kabagnot, Rick McDermott, and Danny Lyon. All four of us grew up in the Catholic Church. Each of us has had different experiences, different faith journeys, and each of us has a, our own relationship with the Catholic Church today. But we're all formed by similar experiences, and we all retain a certain fondness for the institution, and we talk all about it in this conversation. I hope you'll enjoy this episode of the Steve Dunn Podcast. All right, I'd like to begin by just going around the table and having each of you introduce yourself and your law practice and where you are in your relationship to the Catholic faith. How about we start with you, Rocky? Okay. Hi. So my name is Rocky Kabagnot. Currently, I'm an attorney at the law firm of Hull & Chandler, where I do mostly general corporate work with emphasis on nonprofits and public charities and grew up in Salisbury. And that's where I was what you call a cradle Catholic. I was born in the faith. I was baptized a Catholic. I, when my parents, we moved to Salisbury, North Carolina, I attended Sacred Heart Catholic School, Catholic Church. I had my first communion there. And, but in high school, I started to stray a little bit. So I didn't get confirmed in high school, but I did get confirmed, strangely enough, after my first year at Carolina in 1993. What does it mean to be confirmed? Oh, I think a lot of what we're going to uh -huh. do today is a little bit of explaining ah, of terminology. Okay. But what confirmation is, it's one of it's the sacraments. sacraments yeah. It is a process that young people go through. Mm -hmm. It's a way of, you have your first communion mm -hmm. is one of them. Your baptism is yeah. the one that often happens with babies. And then confirmation comes along. For me, it was a high school type thing. And I, I think the idea, and you, you know better yeah. than I do now, as we will Ooh. discuss, but I, I think the idea is that you're confronting your faith as an adult as a thoughtful person and making your own choice. When you're baptized, you're not making the choice to be mm -hmm. baptized, but when you're confirmed, that's you who's deciding to do it. And it sounds like uh, you didn't, you were away from the church when you would have gone through that process. Yeah, it was a kind of truncated RCIA for me at Carolina, I guess because I had grown up a cradle Catholic. I was already, what, 18, almost 19 years old. And so I just met with a priest, it seemed like, just for a couple of weeks, and then I showed up at a mass and... I was confirmed, and so... You did the fast track. Yeah. You used the term RCIA. What is that? Oh, boy. Anyone got their phones can, like... Of oh. Christian I, Initiation Act? What's no, the A? I don't know. A, <laughs> I... I all right, we'll get to the, yeah. to the bottom of that, but we're, we all know this term, right? It is yeah. a, it is the, uh, it's like an adult mm -hmm. education program, right? Yeah. Yes. And so, after, that was in 1993, and then I guess... At that point, I became what I think you're what is called an apostate. <laughs> and so for 30 years, I probably was everything but a Catholic that you could think of. And but then this year, and maybe we'll dive deeper into it, I have renewed my faith. My my wife has actually converted to Catholicism. And yeah, things are different in the Cabagnon household. Than so born into the faith, grew up with it, left, was away for quite some time, but now renewed in it and with a spouse who's converted. So yeah. you're quite a story there. Let's oh, go yeah, back yeah, to that. Yeah, Rick no, what, McDermott, any... what about your story? 
Sure. So I was born Catholic. I am number seven of seven kids. Wow. Uh, That's so real big, Catholic right yep, there. That big Catholic, Catholic family. And grew up for the most part in both Milwaukee and New Orleans at different times, both of which are fairly Catholic communities. So grew up in communities where being Catholic was very normal. Went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic university, and Catholic law school. I've been here in now, Charlotte. Now, there is a college called Catholic University. It's, yes, it, not it, the Catholic okay. University. Okay, <laughs> but where did you go to? Yeah, yeah. So, I went to um, so I went to Jesuit High School, yep. uh, which is a, as the name implies, a Jesuit high school uh, in New Orleans. Then I went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, which is a Jesuit university. And then I went to Marquette Law School, which is a Jesuit law school. Okay, well. so you're Jesuit all the way. And when we use the term Jesuit, we are referring to one of the the orders of yes. the ordained priests. priests. They are, I don't, do you know how many there are? I don't know. I, know I don't know how many there are. I don't. You get your Franciscans, your Dominicans, 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 your Jesuits. I think Saverin. All right, so we're, we're going to be Googling a lot of stuff. Yes. Yeah, uh, yes. Did you, By the way, did you get to the bottom of RCIA, right? I did get to the bottom of the RCIA. <laughs> it is the Order of Christian Initiation of Adults. Let's see ah, here. the A is adults. Yes. Because, yes. so kids, like you do not go through RCIA when you're, if you're just a normal eighth grader going mm-hmm, through right. confirmation. Yeah. It's if you choose to do it later in life that you go through the RCIA program. So, yeah, the is right, my understanding. Yeah, right. The rite of Christian initiation of adults. Yeah. Rocky, did your wife go through that? Yeah. As part yeah. of the conversion. Here's the interesting thing is that so she was actually baptized Catholic. So she was born as <laughs> this is this will blow your mind. So she was born in Chapel Hill in nineteen seventy nine and her grandparents were super devout Catholics, and so she was baptized in St. Thomas More Church in Chapel Hill. Thirty, I was confirmed in 1993 in St. Thomas More Church. Mm-hmm. In Ch- so that was always an interesting uh, point of conversation during our dating. Oh, you were baptized Catholic, and where was that? St. Thomas, that's crazy. I was confirmed in said church. Yeah. And to bring it full circle, I parked my car at St. Thomas More Church when I was in law school in Chapel Hill. It's a small world. But Rick, <laughs> Did you so get a dispensation to do that? No, yeah, no, that, I paid every dollar. So Rick, you grew up, you're like full-blown, all-out, mass-every-Sunday type of guy. Was, was that true all the way through law school? I would say that was true. There, were, I would say there was a point in time when I was in college where maybe I strayed a little bit. But being at Marquette University, there was a lot of Catholic and Jesuit influence. We have this chapel on campus that's called the St. Joan of Arc Chapel, which is, dates back to Joan of Arc, like it dates back to hundreds of years ago. And they have a 10 p.m. mass there every day. It's a really cool mass. You sit on the floors heated. Oh, the wow. priests are very cool because they're Jesuit. And so it was easy to always come back to the church being in that Jesuit type of community. We go to, not as regularly as we have in the past, but we go to St. Peter's uh, Catholic Church here in Charlotte, which is a Jesuit parish. So it's part of the diocese, but it is run by the Jesuits. But I also, before before I joined St. Peter's, I was at St. Gabriel here in Charlotte. I would say that I am still a practicing Catholic, but have, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but have had my issues with some of the things related to the Catholic Church. And so we just don't, we don't go as often or as regularly as we did prior to COVID. I think COVID was maybe the mm-hmm. reason, not the, COVID was the the adequate excuse 
to maybe not go as often. I think having issues with the church is very much part of the experience of oh, being yeah. a Catholic person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's yeah. almost intentionally, it's a faith tradition that allows very much for questioning and dissension. And that's one of the things that, that I've always admired about it and taken for granted. One of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation is because I didn't realize until relatively recent in life how different the Catholic tradition is from other faith traditions. I just took it for granted as somebody who grew up in it. And so it sounds like you've been on a journey, and we keep referring to Jesuits. And I I should say, for those who don't know, that each one of the orders, I don't want to oversimplify it or trivialize it by comparing them to like the the houses at Hogwarts in Harry Potter but <laughs> sorting it, but they they <laughs> each sorting. they do have their own personality like they mm-hmm. they each have their own focus and the Jesuits I'm certainly no expert in this but I understand that uh, a big part of their mission is education mm-hmm. and there's like the intellectual order and I think that a lot of us who find ourselves in the legal profession tend to resonate with that group and then each one of the orders has its own kind a spin in their devotion and in their vocation. So, all right, Danny Lyon, what about you? What's your story? So I grew up outside of D.C. and Maryland, and I was baptized. My great uncle was a Monsignor and started a church in Silver Spring, Maryland, outside D.C. And so I grew up going to masses with, you know, my family at his church. Um, And so he did my baptism and then my confirmation. And then he I was trying to remember when I got confirmed because he passed away shortly thereafter, but I was, I think I was 12 or 13. Okay. And I think I was a junior in high school. Okay. Yeah. So I was, it was, it had to be, so he he passed away in 99 and I think I got confirmed in 98. And I remember this because he was very, very old at the time and fell asleep on the altar because Mm. they had brought him to the church to be like, Hey, you're going to confirm your, your great nephew or whatever. And so he fell asleep and they were like, (laughs) prodding it and being like hey danny's ready to go i'm sure it meant Um, a lot to him it meant a lot some level but it was like it was a funny little story but yeah so i grew up irish catholic and so the community that i was in was very much i went to public high school kindergarten through eighth and then i went to a catholic high school that my dad had gone to and my brother and sister had and my my mom was one of six my dad was one of four. And so we came from these families that were expected that we would go through this process, right? You you'd baptize and, and you would do first communion. And my son is doing his first communion training, which I guess is called faith for formation right now. Yeah, We called it CCD as a kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. if, if you remember that. Yeah. Like, Sunday school. Yeah. yeah. So we go to St. Peter's too. Okay. I would say our attendance is spotty. And so that's why I probably I haven't <laughs> seen you there. Yes, I know. <laughs> but we were trying to get better. And I think COVID was a really nice excuse to yeah. not go as much um, for a, a lot of different reasons that we make it into. But so that's my background of it. Um, and then my wife grew up uh, Catholic and um, her family is, is, is very devout. So and so we can get into it. But a lot of what I learned about some of the rules and the canon law a little bit, they've explained a little bit to me. So I've learned a little bit through them about, like, for example, the rules about when you can go to mass on a Saturday and mm-hmm. have it count for the next day. Yeah. So, I, I always thought you were just good as long as you went. No. So I, okay. It, I didn't even know there was nuance on that. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you go before 4 p.m., mm-hmm. it does not count for the uh, next day. It's that's like, why it's always at 5, five o'clock. It was always right? like at 5, 5.30 five, or something. Yeah. yeah so huh. it's, like, it's like depositing a check. Like it's not going to clear <laughs> until the next day or something to eat or something like So there's all of these kind of nuances that I really never thought about growing yeah, up. Yeah. But if you go before mm-hmm. 4 o'clock, does it count for the previous week? 
And, and, <laughs> for the, and, you know, and for that matter, now yeah. hold on a minute. If we're really doing this, we should be yeah. going every day. You're supposed to. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's another thing about Catholics. So the mass, we, mm-hmm. we talk about going to mass as opposed to going to church. And the, the idea is that the whole point of going to church is to go through this ritual of the mass. Mm-hmm. The whole point of which is the sacrament of communion, right? Mm-hmm. right, that, right. That's the whole idea. That's the, the whole right, point, yeah. Right. The taking of the bread and the wine. And boy, there's really a lot to delve into, guys. So There's uh, so much. Yeah. Let me tell my personal story. Yeah, I was going to ask we'll, you. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, so my mother, Irish Catholic from Boston, she married my father who grew up on a farm in Texas in a Presbyterian family. And by the time I came along, he was not going to church at all. And so we basically just went to church with my mother Mm -hmm. and so grew up. He would stay home, which I just thought was perfectly normal (laughs) (laughs) because I was a kid and it was just my life. But my, my mom took us to church. So we grew up going to CCD and mass every Sunday and we're part of the community, eventually joined youth groups. I moved around a lot because my father was in the air force. So I grew up. So I had an interesting experience of growing up in growing up as a Catholic in different places. So for example, when I was in Rhode Island, it was a very Catholic community where 95% of the rest of the people in the neighborhood were all Catholic too. And then when I moved to Charlotte, it was quite the opposite. There was almost mm-hmm. no Catholics here. It was like less than 2% mm-hmm. of the population in the 80s. and But it was a rapidly growing population. It's more like my experience because I grew up in Salisbury. There's one Catholic <laughs> church for the entire county whereas you can go some cities and there's a catholic church on each block and that's your parish so we had one parish and that's all we just knew in in salisbury rowan yeah 100 yeah, like you yeah and because growing up like rick you probably had catholics everywhere but where i was it's it's all mainline protestants and evangelicals they i was probably there i might have been like there might have been like Atheist, agnostic, Jewish. Oh, and then Rocky the Catholic and such. So it was nice to have a Catholic school. So at least there was some other people I knew who had this unique Christian faith that yeah. is iffy to a lot of folks out there. That's what I found out is that in Rhode Island, everything is taken for granted because everybody's the same. And then mm-hmm. here in North Carolina, it was the first time I experienced anti-Catholic sentiment right. in a way. I'd never knew that was a thing. Like I remember learning that there were people that were skeptical of John yeah, Kennedy John becoming Kennedy. president because he was Catholic. They were right. afraid he would take his orders from the Pope or something. <laughs> that just boggled my mind. Anyway, so I when I got confirmed, went all the way through, and then I pretty much just once I went to college, like that was it. I was done. I didn't have to go to I didn't have to go to church anymore, and so I didn't. And I, my journey was always one of, I've always been a spiritual seeker and I find a lot of reward in the mm-hmm. Catholic tradition. I actually think it is very deep and rich and worthy of study and contemplation. But I always struggled with the concept of belief and the demands of belief and frankly, just like belief in the supernatural kind of stuff. And I, I just didn't believe. And so for me, the Catholic church eventually occupied the same space in my mind as a whole bunch of other faith traditions that I don't believe, but I find are interesting and contain nuggets of wisdom and all that kind of stuff. But in it, but it wasn't until recent, and that's how I categorized it and how I thought of the world for a long time. And it wasn't until recently that I've realized that this like growing up within the church affected me in ways that I didn't, mm-hmm. there's more to life than just the way you intellectualize about things. And so there's certain things that we take for granted about our worldview, both in terms of the language that we speak, the community that we grow up in, and certainly our religious traditions. 
conversations. And so I guess one of the ways, and this is maybe a segue into some other conversations that we should have, is that I realized eventually that that I ponder ethical questions in a way that I don't think all believers of all faith traditions do. Like I, mm. I spend my time like constantly, I really struggle with if there's a guy at a red light with a sign asking for money, <laughs> am I... Am I supposed to give that guy money or not? And I, I keep going back and forth. I've been agonizing over this for decades. And I've read the Bible, and it seems to me like it's pretty clear in the Bible that you are supposed to give the guy money. Like You're supposed to give money to everybody who asks. And But I don't. And so I. And there's all kinds of stuff like this about, about war, about life just in general. I think about these things a lot. And what I've noticed is that in a lot of other traditions, a lot of the study is not based so much on like how you behave in the world, but rather what is the nature mm-hmm. of the universe. And so I wonder what you all think of, about those types of things. So it's really interesting you make the comment about seeing somebody with a sign asking for money or being mm-hmm. aside because I if I stop at a red light and I see some person I do have this instinct to want to give something and my son who is eight will say dad do you have a dollar or dad do you have money and I through through different people will say don't don't or do and, mm-hmm. and I try my best to think about what's the right thing to do but I have never thought about it through my upbringing and my faith about it so it's a really interesting point because I. I have this kind of instinct, or I, I see some people when they pull up to a, a light and they see somebody asking for money or holding a sign, that there's no reaction at all. And I have a very visceral, what should I do? And, and so it's interesting to, to think about that. And so I've never connected it to my faith or upbringing there, or, or just any, any biblical teaching. You ever heard the phrase, whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me, right? Yeah. Like yeah. It's, I think it's a big part. There's a hymn, right? I think we, yep. we probably have all... We, I'm going to refrain from belting into song right now. <laughs> but, you know, all of us of a certain age, they probably have new songs now. I don't know. But I think that all of us, like a big part... I think a big part of the, the what is just drilled into your head all the time at Mass is that if Jesus were walking among us now, we would not be admiring him or loving him or anything like that. He would be like the least among our society. And hey, you Mm -hmm. out there, you better look at how you relate to the least of our society and get get your own house in order. And that's something that, you know, I don't know what it's like to grow up in other faith traditions, but I don't think that the emphasis is quite the same. Yeah, I would say the one thing about the Catholic tradition and faith that is, is a little different is that we have, I guess it's a sacrament, but we have confession. And so when, what, through, I've, and it was interesting because, like I said, I've been an apostate for 30 years. That was an interesting reconciliation there. It was like, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And then he said, well, Here's what long? I've been up to for well, the last well, said, 30 well, years. Well, he said, how long has it been since your last confession? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Do you remember George H.W. Bush? <laughs> it, was, it, it was a while. And, but from through my remedial RCIA class that my wife and I attended, I think the idea is that you're supposed to go to confession very often, right? You should almost go almost as often as you go to communion. That's the, because... I guess there is something in the Catholic Church, there's an understanding that we are fallible. We're almost extremely fallible, and I think you're supposed to go confess—so if you did struggle, and maybe you did not show charity—I'm struggling with this. What is the moral or Catholic way to you know, address these issues? Is this a sin? Did I commit a sin by not giving a dollar or giving alms, or is it, you know— I think that at least there, then you can clean your slate. So then you're not walking around with this heavy thing, did I not give alms to the poor for— 
30 years or something like that are just hanging on top of you. So confession, I think, is, is one of the things that I thought we should talk about because I think it's one of those things that's unknown and impenetrable to non-Catholics. Rick, you want to walk us through that, what confession is and what it's like to actually go? Yep. So I think if I'm right, the first time that I went through confession was just before my first Holy Communion, which I think is that's when you usually do it. And I, the only thing I remember from confession at that time was I was just scared of it mm, yes. entirely. If my turn was up to go sit with the priest, I was like shaking. And you <laughs> confess the yeah. things that you have done and you get a penance. Uh, well, all right, let's take a step back. Mm -hmm. yeah. so here's what it is, all right? If you've never heard of confession, right? Which is, I, I think a lot of, uh, we, we take so much for granted, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. Okay, so confession, it's another one of these sacraments. We talked yep. about it. There's baptism, there's the first communion, there's confirmation, marriage is a sacrament. Oh, yeah, and there's, yep. there's like that. seven of them, right? And confession is this one, what you do, I guess you do it the first time when you're about to have your first communion. Is, and, mm -hmm. and what you do is you go in and you meet one-on-one -on -one with a priest and they they always show it in movies they have these like dark little booths that yeah, you go yeah, into they, in the yeah, church yeah. there's a screen in between and but the way that i always i think i may have done it in one of those one time or something but usually what you do is you, i just would just walk into a room and the priest would be sitting there in a chair and you just have a conversation with the priest and basically what you do is you go in and you tell him like all your sins like you tell this guy like all the sins that you committed since your last confession and as a kid yeah, I mean, it was always just I was disrespectful to my parents. Uh, mm -hmm. Did just a bad word. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I got. You know, I was. I was I lost my temper with my brother. Stuff like that. But then he you say a couple prayers, and then he gives you a penance. Which for me, it was always like penance is like your sentence it's like your punishment or whatever it's like the thing that you got to do is to wipe the slate clean of your sins for me it was always like say x number of hail marys pretty yes. much yep yes so go out and say go, go you got to go out and say 50 hail marys or whatever it is and so you go out and you wherever you are whether it's the church or go home or whatever you say your 50 hail marys and the idea is and this is i think confession as much as i, I hated it too mm. it's very awkward it's very weird but I think it's very beautiful at the same time because it it really does f take a load off your yes. mind. Like it makes mm -hmm. you feel a lot better. And I love this idea of that you can that you can be forgiven, that you are that you can be unburdened from everything that you've done wrong. Um, but I also like the fact, that, and this is very Catholic to me. It's it's not enough to just think in your head, "Oh, I'm sorry for my sins" or whatever. Like you got to tell a guy. That's yeah. like part of the contrition process. You have to like you have to shame yourself in a way in that mm -hmm. in that way. And so with that, Rick, your experience, and also commit not only tell somebody else, but you're committing at the same time that you're going to do your best not to do it again. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, because if you're just going in there saying this is what I did, and I know full well I'm going to walk out of here and do the same thing again that doesn't work. And so you really have to have kind of that commitment that you're going to work your best to not do it again. And the idea, I think, Rocky, when you say you should go as often as you can, is that you really want to be free of any of those sins mm -hmm. when you're going into church and receiving communion. You definitely um, want to be like 30 years. Yeah. But I don't know how most people are. I feel like a lot of people have probably gotten away from it. 
I know at the holidays, like usually during Advent, uh, which is just before Christmas, and during Lent, just before Easter, the parishes usually have some sort of, the churches usually have some sort of a reconciliation session where you can go in and there's a general session, but then there's time for you to go and sit with the priest and confess. The concept of reconciliation is that you've been sinning, and sinning is a thing that make, gives you distance between yourself and mm-hmm. God. And through the reconciliation process, you are you're reuniting with God. And uh, yeah, it's what do you guys think, Danny and Rocky, about that confession? How yeah, it's, so, it's fraught. I was laughing about what Rocky said. You said you referenced the George H. W. administration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my son is getting ready to take his do his first reconciliation, and I was thinking like. I think we're encouraged as parents to do it too. And I kept thinking, I'm like, okay, when was the last time I was in a confession? The priest always asks you, yes, how long has yeah, it been right. since your last Use confession? Use presidential yeah. terms. And I, I was, my first answer was like George, the, the George W. Bush administration, right? Whatever that was when I was in, in high school. And the weird thing about mine was that it was also my religion teacher. Mm. And so I was like, am I going to be... Is this going to have negative implications my on my grades? <laughs> when, they're, when they're reading my papers, are they going to be like, oh, Danny yeah. said this? But I remember thinking it was an incredibly scary process. And I, the, the two different sort of formats, right? The, the Essentially, the closet with that wall between yeah. and that kind of screen where the priest just lifts the screen. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, it's starting. But I do f- remember feeling better after being through the process. Yes. And I remember thinking, okay, like th- there, there's this weight lifted off of me. And then I remember as a kid, like sitting in the pews afterwards, because everyone's going down the line, and you'd be like, well, what'd you get? And I'd be like, I got 50 Hail Marys. Yeah, yeah. you must have, wow, yeah. you've been up to some <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, and like my friend would be like, I have to go like wash some desks in a yeah. room somewhere. I'm like, you did something really bad, you know yeah. what I mean? And so it was, I remember that element of, we were all doing it as a class or as kids, mm-hmm. and so when I became an adult, I just stopped doing it. But I think I may have to do it soon, in connection with my son's process, which is very worrisome, in part because I'm like, how long is this going to take? What am I going to say? I've got a lot to unload here. To be. It'll be interesting yeah. to see if there's like new sentencing guidelines or something. You yes. know what I mean? Like, yes. it's, it's like now you have to do like multiple Hail Marys exactly. or whether they go lighter. Go out mm-hmm. and say five Hail Marys. Or exactly. Something. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I got three kids. I don't have a ton of time to do like a thousand Hail Marys here or something. <laughs> we make this proportionate. Yeah. As someone who did confess after 30 years of being an apostate, and we dive into that if you want to know what that means, but it wasn't bad. It definitely, I had to spend some time. I'd do a rosary, basically, by myself. And so I thought I'd have to do 10, maybe because we were going to have our convalidation. And I'll talk about that later, that, later that day. All right, so. rosary. Yeah. Rosary mm-hmm. is a, it's a, it looks like a necklace. Mm-hmm. It's a string of beads. It's mm-hmm. got a cross and a loop and it's a certain number of beads. You got X number of small beads and then every once in a while you got a big bead, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a device that you don't wear it as a necklace. Everybody always thinks you put it on as a necklace, but you mm-hmm. don't. What you do is you carry it around and you use it as a way of counting your prayers. Well, if right? you're Filipino or maybe Hispanic, you put it around your your Rearview mirror. mirror car. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what it's used for is to keep track of your. It, it's the each bead is each little bead is mm-hmm. a hail mary, right? The Correct. Big, the larger yeah. beads are our fathers, our fathers. Mm-hmm. and then there's some acts of contrition in there too, or are there? Well, they're I, like guess. mysteries, right? So they'll say the first mystery is the assumption of Mary or something like that, and then 
Um, it, I found out it's interesting that there's everyone has their own way of doing a rosary. There's like some people will sing at the end of it. Some people, it's very, it's almost I don't know, like player's choice in some weird way. I don't, I it's it's almost like a reason. There's not one right way to the do a rosary. The point though <laughs> is that to do a rosary uh-huh. means you're gonna say you enunciate prayers, yeah. a bunch of prayers, there's usually a whole like bunch call of and Hail response. Marys. So there's usually someone leading it. And you can then, just do it yourself. Or you can do though. it yourself. Yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, yeah. and what, how long does it take you about? 20, 20 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes something yeah. like that now catholics i think we can all say we're pretty quick with the hell mary when you're doing 50 of them yeah. for penance like you're gonna blaze through them as fast as possible but you mentioned doing a rosary and is that something you do in your own spiritual practice on a regular basis now yeah and it's i it, it i'll tell you this so getting back to that sort of quote-unquote 30 years of rocky's apostasy one thing i got into was Buddhism. I'm like you. I am a seeker. And so, but I'll tell you this, there's a huge overlap. <laughs> I mean, you would think that, oh, Episcopalians, there's a huge overlap. You know what? Strangely, I think Buddhism, there's a lot of overlap between deep Buddhism, deep Catholicism, because you think about the rosary, it's a mantra, you know, and in Buddhism, right, say, you right, know, right. chant prayers and you folk and it's about oneness and stillness. And here's the thing, you go into a Buddhist temple, everyone's quiet. It is you and your alms and whatever being presence. You go to a Catholic church, it's quiet. It's not, I've been in Protestant churches and everyone's just talking and they're hanging out. And, but here's the thing is like, because when a Protestant comes to a Catholic church, they think we're all snobs. They think, I went in there and nobody talked to me. And <laughs> right. it was just really, I felt everyone was rude or, or very aloof to me. Yeah. But what I learned is, and I, is that when you go to church, it's strictly it's between you and God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all the saints. It's serious business. It's not, you go in there, you anoint yourself with holy water, it's on. It's not, you're not there to talk about a business deal or how little Billy's doing in school or something. It, it is time, and you're there to focus on to Eucharist. And your point of that day is to get to the Eucharist. That, that is, that's, that's the thing there. And so, that getting back to about the rosary, I and it's weird because it, it is reminds me of some of my times where I was hanging around a more Eastern crowd in, in, in some respects. It's interesting that you find overlaps or underlying, I don't know, I felt more comfortable. I'll say this, I felt a lot more comfortable in the Buddhist thing than I ever did in a lot of sort of mainline Protestant places, to be honest, in a strange way. It's interesting you say that because I think for a lot of people, it is a very comforting uh, process to say the rosary. Mm-hmm. It's you're in, you're at peace. Most of the time, I think people are by themselves. You can do it in groups, but I do think that it's a very comforting thing for a mm-hmm. lot of people. I don't know that it says pop. I think it's an older generational I, thing. I think that's true. I remember my mom as a kid, she was very afraid of flying. And so she used to say the rosary like during takeoff or during flights, cause it was just comforting. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember a lot of my family members doing some of the same things and I don't, it, it's fallen out of favor a little bit, at least in sort of mm. the way people talk about it. And a lot of people within Catholicism don't talk a lot about what they do. So the, that that mm. idea of once you go into church, it is a very, you're there for a task. I remember in college going to other people, I would go visit families or for holidays or something, and you would go into other face. Oh, it's a party. It's a party. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. why is it so light in There's here? There's a band. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a swimming pool. The people are singing and dancing, <laughs> and I'm like, this feels great. But when I was going into church, and usually I'm with small kids too, and so I'm like, everyone be quiet. You know, you're, you're managing that dynamic because it's a, a really kind of sacred space. Um, and uh, so that's an interesting thing. And, and the, the other idea I kept thinking about all of us is I think we all could be 
put into a mass at a different point, mm-hmm. portion of it and know exactly what to what say to and do, do mm-hmm. right? And it's yeah. just this instinctual. It's like like playing music for a really long time. You don't even know you're doing it, but you would just start saying the lyrics or playing the chords or whatever it is. And I think that common bond is really interesting to me. Yeah, that's the whole point uh, of the Mass is that it's the same. It's basically based on the Last Supper, right? And this is what Jesus did at the Last Supper. It's reenacted every time Catholics get together for a service. Like there, There is this notion that you're supposed to Go every day. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the whole point is communion. Now, there's all this other stuff. We had music, too. Mm-hmm. We didn't. It wasn't as much like acoustic guitars and like upbeat. Yes. It's mostly yeah. like organ. Organ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. Litur- liturgical. But, but yeah. different churches do it different ways. And, and then for a long time, it was Latin all around the world. Mm-hmm. So not only was it the same in terms of the sequence of events and the, the ritual, but it was also in, that, in the same language. And so it truly was universal across all Catholics. I think it was after... Vatican II yeah. in the mid 20th century that right. the theological change was made so that you uh, speak in the language of the yep. place where you are so that people can uh, understand better what they're doing. But you're right. The mass is the same everywhere you go. And there's a whole, it's very familiar to us. And I wonder what you think about communion. So one of the things that I noticed as someone who attended different, I, I intentionally went to a bunch of different religious services in my 20s. And I noticed that everybody does communion differently. Um, Some don't do it at all, of course, but Mm -hmm. some churches do it every once in a while, but not every week. Some of them do it, some, they eat and drink different things. Like we have this very particular papery wafer (laughs) that we Mm -hmm. like to have that they they call bread, but I think that's a loose definition at best, right? It's this very particular wafer. The other thing about the Catholic Church that sometimes weirds people out is that we drink real wine. There's actual... They used to. I haven't seen... Since I've returned, I've never... It's never been offered. I I think a lot of... Yeah, I think a lot of churches stopped doing it during COVID. Okay. Yeah. I think the idea of just wiping the chalice with Mm -hmm. a... uh, (laughs) Napkin. (laughs) They were like, well, maybe this doesn't get rid of all the I always thought that was awesome. Oh, it's totally awesome. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I'm going to drink some. Uh, And uh, among, it's not, I I don't know if you guys have ever stolen any of the communion wine, but it's a very common thing for young Catholics to get into at some point. So I I personally never did, but I knew some people who did, right? The, so the way it works is in the Catholic Church, it's usually close to the end of the service. If the Mass is about an hour, yeah, you got some songs, you got some readings from the Bible, you got a sermon from the preacher or from the priest, and the homily. To the homily. Yeah. And then and then usually near the end is the communion, and then they'll do like announcements about mm-hmm. the bake sale or the pageant <laughs> that's coming up or whatever, and then you're out, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the but the way it works is that each person, we, they're playing music, and we each get up in an organized fashion and walk up to the front, and the priest gives you this communion bread mm-hmm. to eat. And if you used to be, I, guess, I didn't even know this wasn't happening anymore, but it used to be if you wanted to, you could take a sip of wine out of this communal chalice, and mm-hmm. he would have a little cloth <laughs> yeah. and yep. wipe it, wipe off the, the edge of it between each person. And you take a little sip, and that's, it's like the whole point is yeah. eating the bread and drinking the wine, and, right? And the kind of a bigger point is that is what they, and one of the biggest, I think this is the hugest thing that I think separates Catholicism and particularly its type of communion from everybody else is that there's a thing called transubstantiation. Yep. That's the point. Like, you, you can miss, you're not supposed to miss, you're not supposed to be late to Mass. If you are late, 
you got to be there for the Eucharist because that's where, you know, he, he recites, like he recounts the words of Jesus during the Last Supper uh, regarding, you know, take this bread, this is my body, this is to give up to you, take this blood, this is the blood of my, that we shed for you. And the idea here is, and this is the one thing that I do remember from my very truncated RACIA where I was just going through the motions in 1993, was the one thing that the priest did impart me is don't preen, don't go to the, the Eucharist and look at all your friends or try to like check out the girl you think is cute or, or something like that. This is very serious because what the priest has done is through consecration has made this is now truly the body and blood of Christ. It is not wine. It's not a wafer. It is truly that that's the that's what it is. So they always teach yeah. us. They teach us that. Yeah. And that freaks us out. Like yeah. as kids is like they would they, they, I, I really struggle with that mm-hmm. throughout the education process when they would be like, now, nah, see, OK, what we're saying is mm-hmm. it's literally mm-hmm. the body and blood of Christ. Uh, I always struggle with that. What do you guys think about communion? Go ahead. <laughs> so yep, go ahead. It's a very strange process for me for that exact reason. It's so I am, I believe in the faith. I believe in the communion process. If you're going to make it to one part of mass, it is for communion. You mm-hmm. always see the people that get communion and then head and then out, the out. And then just right. walk right, right out the door. Yeah. Ooh, out yeah. And so like sometimes with little kids, you're like, see you got communion, and we're out. But, and it's so interesting in the way that communion, because um, I have been to other churches and, and participated or participated in what their communion process is. But within the Catholic faith, if you are not Catholic, you're supposed to cross your arms yeah. and receive a blessing. Mm-hmm. And so when we got married, we had a full Catholic mass. And so trying to the, the priest does a good job of explaining mm-hmm. it because it, it, it can feel like you're purposely excluding people and so he made this joke about if we if we give you communion you got a tithe and you would owe us whatever and so he was like trying to make light of it <laughs> lighten the mood yeah. lighten the mood a little bit but it, it is a really it's like a serious process mm-hmm. right? and so trying to do that and then to demonstrate that for your kids or, or just watching it i always think about that i remember as a kid saying do not shake hands with people in the mm-hmm. line do not like, high five like, like sports yeah <laughs> yeah and my dad would never listen so he would he'd go by and see one of my friends and he would just like rustle their hair or something like that and my mom would be like do not do that. yeah but it, that process and that idea of this is the you know the body of christ mm-hmm. and and all that whole process i i, I like i instinctively go like this because i'm left-handed so mm-hmm. my, my right hand goes up and then in my left and so all those processes just it, it's ingrained in you, you know what I mean? And so I, I think about it and I just do it, but I, every once in a while I step back and I think, wow, this is a really, I think for me, I talked about my struggles with belief or whatever. Like for me, I'd hear this, this is literally the body and the blood of Christ. And I would always imagine like hair and flesh and muscle and everything. (laughs) But I'd also just be like, it's definitely not that it's this flavorless, dry little Mm -hmm. wafer and some really crappy red wine, wine. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Real wine, by the way. Yeah. I mm-hmm. guess they're not doing it anymore, but when they were doing it, they were using wine with alcohol in it. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of... They'd water uh, it down with some water, though. I remember yeah. as an altar boy, I'd see yeah. them pour a little water into it. Dredge it out a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> well, you, you got a bunch of masses in a day. You, can't, I know, you know what I mean? It's got to make it... Yeah. You don't get much. Yeah, we're not no. going to the wine coolers in the back. Right, you know? right. I remember there were times <laughs> when I would be like hungry, and I'd be thinking like, all right, I'll get that... I'll get that host. But then it turns out it's totally unsatisfying. Right. Well, it, it really I will say doesn't. this about the Protestants. When I have attended, like I went to a, a UCC church, um, service, and it was like one of the rare days they have a communion. They had this big, like focaccia bread-looking right. thing. I was like, "Holy <laughs> snap!" And then it ran. But I, did, I was still I, I, even in my apostate phase. I just knew 
I'm not supposed to take that. Just I'm just not allowed to take. I'll be very kind and just sit here, but I'm just not going to, you know, that's probably not allowed for me to go take that because I'm not a member of your church. It's been interesting to me to watch the development of the Eucharist and communion and the whole notion of not being able to take it. Mm, Because when I was a kid, I don't remember that being a big deal. I feel like maybe it was either, either there were not the number of people who were attending Catholic Church who maybe weren't Catholic or not qualified, according to the Catholic Church, or it just wasn't as big of a deal, and it's become more of a big deal as time has gone on. I So I have a spouse who's not Catholic, and so to me, it feels very exclusive in a negative way when a priest says, unless you're this or this, you're not allowed. And I don't know. I understand that means certain things and if it doesn't mean certain things to people then maybe you're you shouldn't be participating in it um, but I also feel like it should be inclusive and welcoming uh, for people to participate what's interesting is that they, what we're talking about is the rules and mm-hmm. there, there are a bunch of rules oh yeah. Like, there are, oh yeah there are a lot of rules and there's a lot so, of things that they all they've all got some rationale and mm-hmm. like one of the big ones of course is that there's a few about like priests like they only men can be priests mm-hmm. and Priest can't be married. Although, I will say, I know a married priest. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, <laughs> they, if they were Episcopal they were, first, yes. and then converted to mm-hmm. Catholicism, there's a small number. There's a small of number of married Episcopal Catholic priest. Church. Yep. Wow. Or priests, rather. Wait, so, so, okay. So you start. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you start as a, as Episcopal. If you're an Episcopal priest, mm-hmm. got it, and you and got you married convert convert. to Catholicism. Okay. Yeah. You can. Yeah. I don't know if they're still doing it or not. I don't know if there's just well, a I don't, window. I know a few, but I don't know if. I don't know any recent yeah. ones. So it's a very small number, but wonderful people. One of, one of my favorite priests ever was yeah. a married priest. Super so great this guy. is the one thing I think like about, because obviously it's like I'm back, I'm a lawyer now. So in that interim time where I got confirmed and now I've returned, I became a lawyer. I went to law school and became a lawyer. And I think that now I have an interesting appreciation for the Catholic Church because of my <laughs> having a legal background. One thing that happened in that 30 years is that I had gotten married, but I had gotten divorced. So there's, and my wife is divorced, and I am a stepfather to, to her son from her pre. And so divorce is a, and that's one thing that we put that on the side is we've both been divorced. The church is going to recognize that that marriage at a certain level. So when we, so we're like, how are we going to get this annulled? And she was like, I definitely don't want to talk to my ex-husband about writing something about this and all this other things. Says, Wait a second. You were married at Pre- Covenant Presbyterian and you were married in Rowan County Magistrate court and, um, and, and but what happened is that this is the lawyer part so all of you and lawyers are going to love this and we didn't have to get the canon lawyer so there is somebody usually in your church who's like a real nerd about this stuff they really know this stuff but we didn't have to we just basically filed it was very administrative we filed a, a petition to the diocese to annul our marriages for quote-unquote lack of canonical form and I was like, yeah, isn't that great? It's like the lawyer was like, oh, and it was approved. It was, it was like, it was. You found a loophole. Yeah. Yes. This is. I have a better understanding. Uh, yeah. So I think the, the, I appreciate it more because of my legal mind now. Essentially, you went through an expungement process. Because, <laughs> right? Well, I, so I guess in, in some respects, it's so basically we, because we wanted to convalidate right. our civil marriage and be married in the church. So interestingly enough. In Caesar's world, I am divorced, and in the uh, Catholic world, I've only been married once. 
So <laughs> I have some concern that, it, first of all, mm-hmm. everything that you said just perfectly explains like what I'm not interested right. in about any kind of religious practice. And I think that there's some risk, I think, if somebody who's listening to this and doesn't know anything about the church and thinking that's like what we're all obsessed with. And I really mm-hmm. don't think that we are, or at least not the way that I grew up. And I also mm-hmm. think that it's possible that times are changing. It's possible that it's different from community to community. But my experience of growing up in the church was that it was extremely welcoming, like much mm-hmm. more welcoming and much more tolerant than a lot of other communities. And in one of the, for example, one of the things that I was always struck by was how when I went to other people's churches, like people were more dressed up. It was like, whereas we had a lot, we had all walks of life, like just mm-hmm. in the place. It just seemed like it was literally everybody and all were welcome. And we were always taught that there are all these rules, but I, I don't know. I feel like I was expressly taught mm-hmm. all throughout that that's not what it's all about. And that if you we have this we have a, a rule and a process for disagreeing with the rules right there's this mm-hmm. like conscientious objectors concept that we have baked into the faith tradition itself which is along the lines that if you you know if you truly ponder the issue and that there's only a few things that are like non-negotiable and as it, it gets to like the pope and like whether the pope is pronounced in foul oh and so we're, we're all over the place but let mm-hmm. me just say that i think where a lot of this stuff comes from and this I think is important, is that as Catholics, we are taught that this is the church that Jesus started. That Mm -hmm. that what Catholics believe is that at the Last Supper, we established the Mass, and that Peter Mm -hmm. became the first pope, and that all the popes since then are like following in this tradition that started with Peter. And a lot of stuff flows from that. So like the fact that Priests are male and don't get married. Jesus was male and didn't get married. <laughs> and, and it's just, there's a whole bunch of traditions and rules that kind of flow from that. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when you get into that's where you mentioned this for yourself, but that's where I start to have challenges with the church over generations of man made rules that fit the man and fit the times. And maybe do or don't necessarily find their way back to what Jesus was saying or what Jesus did. And so I think that can be challenging for a lot of people if they do start to hear, we have this rule or we have this rule or to do this, you have to do this or to do this, you have to do this, as opposed to we're, we're here to really be the best people that we can be in the, in, in the tradition that Jesus taught us. Yeah, I, I think I struggle with the same things we've all been talking about, because I remember getting married and trying to marshal the documents needed to get our just the, the church to mm-hmm. marry us, and it was more, uh, there was more documentation and a harder process than to actually get a driver's license. So like I had to find my my baptismal certificate, I had to find my confirmation oh, yeah. certificate, I had to do all these things, and then we had to apply. I got married in Pittsburgh, so we had to apply to the, the local diocese, mm-hmm. and I remember having those meetings and the, the pre-canon. And it, it, I thought all of it was well-intentioned. I just thought we got so bogged down in the rules aspect of it. And as a lawyer, I think about that too. The rules of civil procedure or the rules mm-hmm. of evidence is I, I can work within that framework, but when I think about my faith, I want to practice it and I want to celebrate it and I want to be inclusive. And I worry sometimes it's a little bit of the, the form of our substance, right? It's like we get caught up in all of these rules of saying, here's what you need to do and here's this process. And I wonder, especially to a younger generation, if that's just completely off-putting. Right? Because are all these rules 
an impediment to getting what the process is supposed to be, or what going to church is supposed to be, or being a part of a faith, or, or being Catholic is supposed to be. And so when I look at what I think is a trend towards less you know, involvement of generations, younger generations, in religion in general, but in specifically in the Catholic Church, I wonder if that's part of the issue, is that we are so focused on these rules and not about the actual faith, which I think is really beautiful. There has been a shift that I think I've, like, I've been away from the church for a while, so I don't claim to have to have my finger on the pulse, but from the outside looking in, it seems as though there's been a shift from when I was growing up when Catholics were generally perceived as being like left-leaning, like pro-labor, social, is a strong socialist Catholic kind of, uh, mm-hmm. tradition in the United States. Catholic and it was all tied in movement. with this idea about the least among us and caring for the poor, basically, and advocating for people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that mm-hmm. ran deep. Whereas it seems like in more recent years, what I observe, and maybe it's just around here, there seems to be like this return to Latin, like Latin masses are a thing again. And I think it's been like this, there's like a return to like traditionalism. And there's a lot more, I think, political conservatism in the church than what I was used to. And I'm surprised by it, frankly. And I do think mm-hmm. that it, I agree with that. I think that is happening. And I do think it's parish by parish. Yeah, and right. and just for people who don't know, like when we say parish, that means one individual church versus another individual congregation. church. Congregation. Right, yeah. Right. And, and so like to your point before, I've always felt very welcomed in the churches that I've gone to. And we go to St. Peter's Catholic, which That's is uptown church, yeah. and yeah. it's very welcoming. Mm-hmm. And there's very little reminders or scolding about all of the rules. But I do think that there are other parishes that maybe focus more on all of the rules Mm -hmm. and abiding by all of those rules, maybe to your point about being a little bit more conservative, socially conservative. Um, That's probably related to like the abortion question. That's probably, that's been like such a divisive political question in the United States for decades that that may be that that may be one of those things where the Catholic Church has always been strongly identified with yep. life in general, right? Yep. Uh, consistently right. across the well, board. And also so against the death penalty, against as well. the death right. penalty, right. against abortion, and against war, and and tend to walk the walk in a way. This is part of the the mission, and always mm-hmm. has been of life, of valuing all lives, and so that that can easily get turned into a pretty simplistic political question. And that may explain some of the conservatism that we see, but it's, yeah, I think there's been a shift over in the course of my life. I do. I know one of the things that impacted me the most is, so I'm gay. And when North Carolina was going through the amendment one process where it was, the state was trying to, and they did pass an amendment to prevent gay marriage, our bishops Catholic bishops in North Carolina donated money to support that amendment, to support an effort to stop gay marriage. And for me, that was really difficult because all of a sudden, this is the place where I've felt most home for a number of years, basically trying to prevent me from being who I am or doing what I do. We ended, my husband and I ended up getting married at, we got married uptown at a restaurant that overlooks St. Peter's Catholic Church, because of course we can't get married at St. Peter's at Halcyon. Yeah. 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 And to a certain extent, we did that because we wanted the church Mm -hmm. in the background, like we would have preferred to be in the church. And so those, those are some of the issues that are very long-standing issues within the Catholic Church. And I think moving the ship of the Catholic Church is very slow. 
but those are some of the issues that I think is they're driving people away from the church because not everybody fits within the box that makes they're dragging the people into the church too. It's just different yep. people. No, it's, and it, it probably is parish by parish. The other thing to remember is that this church is truly worldwide. Yeah, right. Uh, it's in every continent, and the expressions of Catholicism vary widely yep. in that yeah. way. What I have seen and what I've observed is that Catholics are as diverse from an intellectual and a philosophical thing as they are as as the rest of the world or the country itself. So there are progressives. So that's why I think when you mentioned, I think you said, oh, Sister So-and-so, I thought, oh, Sister Simone Campbell. I remember Mm -hmm. being involved in 10 years ago and with Occupy and all this. She was coming because she was very much anti-death penalty and other. Because there's, again, there is a tension because it is a church that, again, is, I think, very socially democratic. I think that a lot of would say Bernie Sanders would say, in fact, he went and presented his, I guess, his thesis for his candidacy to the Pope, I think, in 2016. He was the only candidate went there. But by the same token, you know, there is obviously the, they call it the quote unquote, the culture of life, the idea. And I think that obviously the right wing of America is mostly identified with, with that and obviously anti-LGBT and things of that nature. And so there is a tension. And I think, I, I think for me, when I, cause I was at Carolina, I was reading Noam Chomsky. I was like, I was way left. I mean, I'm way left by a lot of you guys. I was like raging as machine. Punk rock. I knew guys in college that went out and attacked military airplanes with hammers. Wow. They were swords into plowshares, like literally. Like they tried to destroy the instruments of war. There is this radical tradition within Mm -hmm. the church, for sure, about being true to the actual beliefs. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's because, so you mentioned like Jesuits and Franciscan, the vow of poverty, right? You don't see Protestants making this vow of poverty. Stephen Furtick made vow of poverty by, yeah, I don't care, I said it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, actually, that's one of the things that I love about the church is that there is this, people really, a lot, above average, in Mm -hmm. my view, tend to live according Mm -hmm. to the principles that they articulate. And the vow of poverty is one of those ones. The priests and the nuns, are not living lavish lifestyles. And and if you if Catholic Charities is I think the biggest charity in the world and mm-hmm. when you look up their stuff online, their 990 forms and all that kind of stuff, like 99% of their funding yeah. goes mm-hmm. to mission stuff. Right. Right. Unlike mm-hmm. a lot of other charities where it's like a marketing thing and it's there to pay yeah. big salaries and stuff like that. Like people right. are we're walking the walk mm-hmm. for yep. real. It's, it's it's so interesting to hear, hear you all say this because I I feel the, the same way a lot about I very much disagree with the church's stance regarding LGBTQ mm-hmm. issues and and a lot I have very different political beliefs than I think are the the Catholic Church would promote or or, or seek to, um, to to advance, um, but I find myself wanting to be a part of the community, being right. a part of that, and part of that's just what I grew up with, but what I want for for my own family, but. I try to find, and I think it's parish by parish, right? I think we mm-hmm. probably intentionally picked a place that is sort of leans more Jesuit, more sort of intellectual, more mm-hmm. what I think is inclusive. But for example, on Christmas Eve, if you're trying to find a, a church, you may go into one that has a very different, you know, sort of message, right? The sermon may be very different. Mm-hmm. The, and, and we've experienced that in Charlotte and just throughout the country if we're traveling and going to Mass or something. But I find myself struggling with this idea of, do I have to accept everything within the faith to be a part of it, or can I just pick the most, the things that resonate with me? Do I have to agree with everything? And I struggle with that element. I think that you said it all with the word struggle. I think that it's, it doesn't the word jihad mean struggle? Isn't that, I think that's, I'm not trying to 
I don't know where I'm going with that. I, th- I just think I, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Well, well but what, I, I, I exit think stage left. <laughs> I believe that word literally means struggle. And what I was going to say is, as somebody who is not involved with the church at all, what I still find very beautiful about it is that it encourages and facilitates this constant conversation and reflection about all of these things in a way that. I knew some folks from other faith traditions. I remember a guy, a friend of mine in high school, college age, like very memorably told me like, all you got to do is invite Jesus into your heart and then you're good. Like, it's like, uh, if you just, and I was just like, what? Like, you got to get saved. Yeah. If if you, yeah, you just go through this one time process. You you say the the right words on one occasion and then it's like, you're all set. And I felt like this is, you're just using this so-called faith is like an excuse to just do whatever you want to do all the time and feel like it's okay, right? Whereas I am going through life constantly grappling with the question of like, where am I living? Am I doing the right, right thing? Yes. Am I? And I think that more than anything else is what I still carry away with me all the time. It's this kind of struggle. Yeah. Of, and I think about it in terms of ethical questions. We talked about, do you give the dollar to the guy by right, the, right. that side of the road? But there's a lot of other things, questions about life. I don't think these, I've got my political views and I vote a certain way, but it doesn't mean I don't struggle with these questions. Like there is, I see the logic behind a lot of the positions, the gay thing. I, don't agree with, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But there, what you do is you just realize that folks are just misinterpreting or misunderstanding, and it's way, and it's like constitutional. It's like we we, we have our constitution, right? And we right. interpret our constitution differently. And you can see where people are coming from with their wrong interpretations of the constitution. But that's where I I think that's the biggest thing. If I had to put my finger on what I still carry around with me today, it's this idea that you're constantly confronting and grappling with and, how to live right. And I was going to say, it's like the, and the church is a very, like kind of an organic thing because, so like I have started to read more and I've noticed that there, there are some, like you mentioned the rise of like, they call it TLM or the traditional Latin mass and they're more conservative. And there are folks there. I definitely am not, I'm not in that camp that, that don't even see our Pope as the Pope. I know this is bizarre, but then they refer to him as Bergoglio. Like they don't even want to call him a Pope that they think that there are some folks there who think Vatican II was so wrong. And that was almost, I don't know, instituted by the Freemasons or something ridiculous like that. No, but this is, there is a, there, because I think that our Pope is, I like our Pope. I'll be honest. I liked him when I was in my apostasy phase. Sure. Part of being Catholic yeah. is like, you like some Popes more yeah. than others. Like you get a Pope that's, yeah. you know, you like but he's, certain he's, pre- some presidents yes. you voted for, others that you didn't. Yeah. You can see some have but, the good points and their bad points, but it's the same thing with Pope. But the interesting thing here is that because he's the Holy Father, he's infallible. That's the rule, right? But then you have folks who are, again, like identified with the right and such, and they're calling the man Burgo. They're not even, they're not showing the respect. Not show, that's that's against doctrine. You That's the Holy Father. You're not supposed, you can't just. All right. Keep, now, Rick, I feel yeah. like you're our theologian here at the yeah. table. Like <laughs> my understanding is that the Pope being infallible doesn't mean every single thing he says is infallible. Right. right? It's my, uncertain. Like you have to, topics. the Pope right. has to come out and basically say, hey, everybody. I'm making it. I'm infallible. about to say yes. an infallible But you can't call thing. him Bergoglio. Okay. That's right. just, that is, you, you should get He is viewed, I that. think he's viewed by a lot on the more conservative side as being too liberal. Mm-hmm. He is a Jesuit, by the way, which I remember when it was announced that he was going to be the next Pope. I, w- I had just landed. I was on a flight for work and I had just landed. I saw it on my phone and I was super excited. Mm-hmm. because I knew that a Jesuit as a Pope was going to be a good thing. 
because right. they were going to be that this is going to probably upset a lot of those people that you talked yeah. about rocky but that that he was going to be more of what is the right thing to do and is is it the rule or is it the right thing to do so i just yeah. want to say that jihad literally means striving or doing one's utmost and within islam there are two basic theological understandings of the word the greater jihad is the struggle against the lower self and the struggle to purify one's heart, to do good, to avoid evil, and to make oneself a better person, hmm. right? Hmm. And what I was getting at with that comment hmm. was about, I was going back to what you said, Rocky, about how you noticed the deep connections between Buddhist practice mm -hmm. and the mantra of the rosary. I think that there are, this concept of struggle is another, and, and there are many of these. There are many aspects of spiritual life that have roots and traditions in multiple faiths. And so that's what I was getting mm -hmm. at. And I think that this conversation at some point, we should touch on the recent revelations. I say recent, but just like about sexual abuse of priests. And, yeah. and the reason I say that is because big news item, it seems like a lot of non-Catholics want to point this out to me a lot. Like sometimes it's like among the critiques of the church. Like I would say the big time critiques that I hear mm -hmm. are you should not have all those riches that there's something inconsistent with the Vatican having Michelangelo works of art or something. And, and I, I think the implicit assumption is that we should sell them and <laughs> give the money to the poor or something like right, that. And right. I've got a whole like, reason why I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. But then uh, the other thing that people will point out, it's like, oh, these priests are running around abusing kids and getting away with it. And I will tell you my own view of this, and I'm, I'm not a, a student of this. I'm, I'm not deeply knowledgeable about it, but I think definitely there were some issues there. Like definitely there were some like cover ups and stuff like that. I think it's entirely reasonable to believe that people with sexual hangups of various kinds might be drawn to the priesthood, <laughs> right? Because it is a place where repression of one's sexuality is like the what you're signing up for. It's like right. intentionally the whole point of, of remaining celibate for your, your life. And some of that stuff has happened. And I've always suspected that, uh, that there's not any more sexual abuse among priests than there is among other clergy and other denominations. I don't know if there are statistics on that. I, but. I do think that overall it's a very small percentage. However, it's awful. Mm -hmm. None of us can argue with that. It's terrible. There was a lot of cover and up. And the moving them around, I think, like yes. when, the, when the, yes. the church hierarchy is aware of it and they're... And doesn't do anything And about in their it. own minds, they're probably thinking like, we're trying to like forgive this guy. We're trying to you know, like see the best in him or whatever. But yeah, right. it, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. We did when... I said before that I lived in Milwaukee when I was younger and the parish that we went to in Milwaukee, one of our priests ended up being one of those priests. Oh, wow. And one of my classmates ended up being one of those guys. Oh, and Lord. that's really personal to me just because it was something that I saw or at least heard of since then. But it it is it is awful and the church needs to come to terms with that. But the thing that, that I do think is true is that it, in the whole scheme of things, it's a very small percentage. And to your point, maybe no different than the percentage of other people or at least preachers in other religions that, that are in the same situation. I, uh, this point I, I struggle with the most about coming back to the church, right? So as a kid going to college or in high school, or when some of this stuff was starting to break or, or coming out, in the mainstream news more. I just found it just a, like a abhorrent mm -hmm. in part because they, you occupy <clears throat> this space of just power and like you're supposed to be this trusted figure in a person's life, especially a young person's life um, growing up Catholic. And I just, I found that to be so difficult to grapple with 
not only just the, the conduct itself, but the cover-up, like this sort of idea of we need to protect this institution, therefore we're going to move these pe- people around and hide it, and suddenly you're going to go to some diocese or parish in another part of the country. And it just reminded me of like we lost our way in terms of what was important, right? Like we, we were right. just trying so hard to protect this institution that uh, as a faith and as a community, we lost our way. And so I think that drove so many people. And if people were on the fence about whether or not to participate or not, I think that was a huge piece of it. My, my own parents have just said that we can't, mm-hmm. we struggle with it, we're not over it. And they haven't gone back. So I try to remember that obviously I do a lot of employment law, right? So when you, if you're in a situation where you have a really toxic work environment where people are subject to, to race discrimination or sex discrimination or disability discrimination, is that when you have a really big case or a lawsuit or this is exposed, it swings back the other way, right? You get the best HR practices. Mm-hmm. You get the most sort of institutional framework and control. Right. And my hope was is that when all this came out that there was just be this pendulum swinging backwards. And I don't know if that's occurred completely or if it's diocese by diocese or parish to parish, but my hope was there was an acknowledgement of we really screwed up and we've continued to screw up both in failing to, to protect these kids, but also in, in the intentional cover, covering up. And I, my hope is that there is some acknowledgement both in practice and just in statement of saying, we're, this is what we're doing better and this is why we're going to do it. But it, it almost feels at times like the Catholic Church sort of skirts. They're like, this is bad. This is very bad. But they don't seem to fully embrace it. And so I think that that doesn't bring people back in. And especially in a time when people are maybe looking reasons, looking for reasons to not come back, I think. But overall, and I wonder what you guys think about this, is is that a barrier, you know, like, Steve, Steve will, you, will you not go back to the Catholic Church because of that, or is that just a piece of the puzzle? No, I think that has nothing to do with why I'm not... Interesting. Uh, Catholic. It's for me, it all just stems from questions of belief and questions about why this church and not some other church. Like mm-hmm. it's, yeah. to me, it seems like other churches are about as good. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. have about, there are like, I, th- mm-hmm. that's the way this whole conversation has been framed for me is I admire uh, a lot of different faith traditions f- for what they are, but I came up, I grew up within the Catholic church. So I have this real abiding admiration for it that probably goes deeper than my mm-hmm. admiration for other faith traditions. But ultimately I, I just believe that we're just, organisms on a rock hurtling through the universe. <laughs> that's, yeah. you know, that's I've been there. It. Yeah. 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 And like I say, in that 30 years, I put it this way, on quote-unquote dating sites, I would say, your religion, it would say, I'd have spiritual, not religious. Like, yeah. That was like how <laughs> yeah. I would describe yeah. that's myself. probably about... Yeah. Yeah. But now I think I may have more religious than spiritual now, but... What did it for yeah. you? You described it as a process of saying, like, why am I fighting this? I'm going to stop yeah. fighting. I'm going to stop well, running, but... Yeah, I think you mentioned Islam again, talk about jihad, but I think the idea of they always say you submit to Allah, right? Sometimes in Catholicism they say surrender yourself to Jesus, right? I just knew that there is something that that I, and maybe I had just been just this Catholic sort of in denial for 30 years. When we had kids, I felt the need to explore the possibility of some sort of organized spiritual life. I was admonished by a couple of guys, a couple of older guys didn't like my lack of going to church and told me now that I had kids, like I, now I have a responsibility. I better start going to a church or something. So I actually spent some time trying to figure that out. We started going to the Unitarian church and I, I went uh, for a little while 
but I found maybe it's I'm too Catholic for that or something yeah, because I, I listened to it. Class. I was like, yeah, this is great, but like, why are we here on a Sunday morning? This is it's like a book club of spiritualism <laughs> or something. It's, we're here to talk about, and, and they're literally reading like Buddhist poetry yeah. and like all this kind of stuff. I, I get this, and I think it's cool, and I agree yeah. with just about every single mm-hmm. thing you're saying. It's a little awkward. It's a little nerdy, whatever. That's fine. I'm I'm all for all of that, but like, why is this a church i didn't understand i was like without that demand on your faith without some sort of demand of you then why is this a religion i don't even think it, well, it is religion right so, i think too coming from the catholic tradition which is so formalistic yes. mm-hmm. so structured. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. and structured that it yeah. is really hard yeah. uh, at times to go to a, a church like that that's a little bit more free-flowing or, or- rick as our our knowledgeable person <laughs> in these matters i would love to invite you to just take it away on the subject of saints because saints. this is another thing that i think is unfamiliar Ooh. to non-catholics but it's and i get this question like yeah. sometimes what's the deal on saints. So I'm going to take issue with me being the knowledgeable person here, but (laughs) but I'll address the question. It's interesting that you say that too. I was thinking before when we first got started. So I moved here about 30 years ago, started practicing. I do intellectual property law. I started practicing with Bell Seltzer, Park and Gibson, and then we merged with Alston and Bird and I was there for 20 some years. But I remember when I first joined the firm, I was like the anomaly they were all like, oh my God, we've got a little Catholic kid here. Um, what do we do with this? There was, no, there was nobody else in the firm at the time who was Catholic. And I remember one assistant, legal assistant, saying to me at one point, she's, don't you all worship like those false, like you worship Mary. Saint, yeah, you worship Mary and you worship those other people. What do you call them? Saints? Yeah, Mary. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was interesting to me because I, she really did not, this person in particular, did not like the Catholic faith. And we had a long discussion with it over time. And I said, we don't pray to them. We ask them to pray for us. So these are people who have been phenomenal people because of whatever it is that they've done. And each one's a little different, of course. Mary, we all know. but And so we ask for their intercession. Like, we mm-hmm. ask them So there's a whole bunch to, of them, yes, right? Yeah. And they are oh. people who, they're real people. Mm-hmm. They led exemplary lives. Yep. And through a process, through the hierarchy and the governing structure of the Catholic Church, they have been, nice. what's the canonized? canonized. That's canonized. right, they've been yep. canonized as saints. saints. And interestingly, isn't it true that the term devil's advocate comes from hmm. that process? I believe that hmm. it is. I'm going to look this up now. Yeah. Hmm. I believe that the, that there is a role in the canonization uh, process. It's, it's almost like a legalistic process. It's mm-hmm. like a trial. And at my understanding, because you have to make sure that you don't canonize like somebody who shouldn't be a saint, yeah, right? right? And I think that the devil's advocate is the official within the church who's like the prosecutor against mm-hmm. canonization. And they try to dig up dirt on the person or something. And there's some pretty specific rules. Don't you have to have two miracles yeah, like, attributed so, yeah. to you? That's right. Like yeah. you have to have more than one miracle attributed to you. You have to be a person who has performed miracles and you've led such an exemplary life. And there's a bunch of them. And is, is Pope John Paul, is he the most recent or have there hmm. been any? Since I know then? he is, but I think I was trying to remember in my head. Cause I, has he been canonized? I think has so. he gone through the entire thing? I think he has. I will. Yeah. We may need to, I will call my mother-in-law. For I this. knew he was <laughs> in the process, but I didn't know whether he had actually been canonized. I've always thought about it mm-hmm. like the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like yeah. you come yeah. up, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you just, yeah, let's look at 
let's look at the context of, of what when you were mm-hmm. living. Let's look at what you did. Certainly, there's a criteria of the miracles. But I always thought, did you get enough votes? Is there enough support for this? I've always thought about that yeah. process. I, what I didn't realize was the devil's advocate piece and that there's a structure of yeah. saying, here's the case against, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I remember from like just the RCIA that I just went through with my wife is that we're all supposed to try to become saints. That's like kind of the goal that you and your family and your friends, you're, you're really part of, it's always like trying to make somebody better, but who's better than a saint, right? It's almost reach for the stars. You can always, I don't know the rest of that saying. Hopefully, you know what I'm saying here. But I always, you know, because again, as I, you know, thinking of, of saints, it is, you know, I don't know. It's almost, <laughs> maybe, maybe my, my terminology is a little, a little weird, but it's almost like uh, having a lobbyist or something. It's <laughs> like you, you pray to certain saints and hopefully they are the patron saint of, of something, but they have more pull than, yeah, than okay. you do. So you have patron saints. Uh, yeah. Just a couple of things. Pope yeah. John Paul is a saint. Huh? Mm-hmm. And devil's advocate is, the devil's advocate is a lawyer appointed by the church authorities to argue against the Saint canonization Hood. of a candidate. And there's a place so for you. There you, can, you can apply to be the... I know about this stuff, man. When it comes I, up on LinkedIn, <laughs> when it comes up on... I'll forward it to you, Steve. <laughs> I study devil's things ad- deeply. I'm just not a believer, man. That's yeah, the thing. Cool. But, okay, so, but the, the idea of saints is that, like, it, what's beautiful, what, what's very cool about them is that each saint has an air, like, a, something that's associated with them. And my mother mm-hmm. is masterful at this. There's this, if you lose your key, Yes. There's a saint, uh, the patron saint of lost objects or something. Yeah. So saint he, Anthony. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> what are some of the other ones? There's, Does anyone know the saint for real estate transactions or Saint Joseph? Right. Saint Joseph. Yep. Right. So you're supposed to bury Saint Joseph somewhere in your yard, um, upside down, prior to the sale see. They're of, weird. They're weird. Yes. Sort see, this, of rules this is the part where have, anybody who's still listening to the podcast is going to be like, "These, I thought these, these guys people were are cool, people. but yeah. this yeah. is super weird yeah. now." Yeah. Rocky yeah. sent us an email when we were setting this up about the patron saint of good media. Yeah, I had never heard that one before. I just, okay, I'm not like some sort of theologian. I just Googled patron, Boolean search, saint, Boolean, and meetings. Okay. But the fact that they're there, it's just incredible. There's a bunch of them. I really wonder how this develops. If you just lose something and they're like, we got to find a saint to associate. There's one that was about animals. There's St. Francis, Francis, which is Pope Francis. Yeah. Okay. It's named after St. Francis. I do think that it's. It, the, most of them, I think, are based at least loosely Some on something that happened in right. their yeah. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know that Pope... St. Anthony was going around finding things for no. other people, but. I wonder if Pope John Paul would be like the patron saint of like labor organizing or something. Or like <laughs> some kind of... Yeah, I, th- I think there's probably overlap of different saints have associated with certain virtues. And I think right. you really, you get, you talk about what's the, what it was in the Nicomachean ethic. What is the right per What does the good person do? What defines being good. And I think that at least the Catholic Church gives you tools to, you find a saint that maybe, I don't know, like we we talk about representation matters, right? You can find a saint who probably came from your same background, probably from your same town or from your own. There's something that then you can connect to. But then you look at that person's life, the sacrifice and such, and it gives you like an example because it's like we're in this hero-less like world, right? Don't call me a hero. I don't, I'm not a role model or anything like that. But Children, we all need something to aspire to be. You Women know, can be saints, right? Oh, absolutely. Are the female yep. saints. Yep. So it's interesting that there's, it's like this, it's like a pantheon of idealized beings, historical, but including recently, like mm-hmm. they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. 
and it's there's only one god but there are all these other faith traditions there are faith traditions that have many gods and they in each one has its own kind of area of responsibility on the greek mm-hmm. and roman gods for that matter mm-hmm. the, the mythology it's mm-hmm. it's i don't think it's too far afield from a, a brand of mythology or not not suggesting and that we that's worship why it's that. a mystery that, that's why people free, <laughs> that's why non-catholic christians uh, are skeptical of the church i think it's because they think that this is a question we're somehow like weakly monotheistic or something yeah, yeah i think especially that, if we talk about it in the context of praying to them yeah um, yeah because then people will think oh they're praying to them as if they're a god as well when it's really just asking them for their help with whatever the issue is in working with god or jesus all right what's your working understanding of purgatory my so my this is interesting because my son goes to a Catholic church or a Catholic school, and you might think, Steve, you've been talking about how you're not Catholic this whole time, but my son goes to Catholic. I never went to Catholic school, but my son goes to Catholic school. The reason is because Catholic school was in person during COVID, right. and he was not able to do Zoom school, so we sent started sending him to a Catholic school, and he they we just got this email from the church the other day or from the school the other day that said, hey, this weekend. We're talking about purgatory. Be thinking about all your loved ones who have mm-hmm. passed away because we're going to be praying for them uh, this weekend. And I thought to myself, like, no, wait a minute. Like, why are you assuming that my loved ones are in purgatory? Well, there is this is another thing that I think mm-hmm. is foreign to non Catholics, which is this idea that you got to do some time in, but a lot of time <laughs> perhaps in purgatory before you actually go to heaven or else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm not clear on the well, theology I mean, of this I, at all, really. Because in class, I'm just remembering this was earlier this year, is that now here's the one thing is that, and maybe this goes to even those who are in theoretical physics and such, time and space, and th- it's not a thing in the afterlife. What, you could spend a trillion years in purgatory, and it might just be like the blink of an eye, right? So our conceptions of time and space don't really matter. So I guess the idea is that if you had things you didn't quite work out on this plane, you're supposed to work them out in purgatory and hopefully, and that's why, you know, they asked for, like, we just had All Souls Day and All Saints right. Day. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is that if you aren't sure, no one knows, right? No one knows who's in heaven, who's in purgatory. You know, you use that opportunity to, like, for me, I, you know, I pray for the souls of my deceased parents all the time now. And I think, and I'll be honest, I think that losing my parent i think that had a very profound effect obviously i'm in the church in the narfax looking at my father's body and it, i mean it was a kind of a religious experience for me if there. you die mm-hmm. if you get hit by a bus right after you complete your penance after confession <laughs> yeah. do you have to go to purgatory or is it is it a place you go when you die in a state of sin i i don't know Okay. I think these are it's like the priest when I was growing up like it's a mystery rocky. It's, <laughs> it's all a, I think if you I don't know if the church still teaches this but I think if you go back a ways and maybe it's still true if you haven't been baptized in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Right. You know that because the belief is that if you're not Catholic Now that you mention it, that Mm. takes me back. That was one of my earliest beefs when I was a kid. I didn't think that was fair at all. No, and and, and it's interesting, too. So I think that I always heard it in the context of having babies baptized as quickly as possible after birth. Right. Um, Because if you don't, like, is there some issue with respect to them not getting to heaven if something were to happen to them? There are other faiths who have this same issue. I, I remember talking to a friend of mine, and she was strict. If you have not been saved by Jesus, mm-hmm. sorry, you're not oh, going yeah. to heaven. 
And I said, what about people who have never been introduced to Jesus? She said, sorry. It's a shame. Yeah. I, always, I said, what are people who are good people? Nope. Sorry. I, now I, That's I, a very Catholic concept, mm-hmm. though. The, and this is the heart she of, wasn't Catholic. This is but, the heart of the matter for me mm-hmm. is what you just said, people who are good people. I think that there's something about being a good person that is the point of the whole thing, the whole study. Living a good life. The whole thing right. about mm-hmm. being people. Who, but what about people who are good people? Whereas whether you're a good person or not is, I think, irrelevant <laughs> in a lot of other mm-hmm. traditions. Right. right? Yeah, and I, I find that point to be something within my own practice. Am I doing a good job? I like this very introspective, am I doing a good job? Am I doing the best I can? All those things you want to do for your clients or you want to do in your family life or whatever aspect of it is. But I do find that Catholics are more thoughtful about that point or more reflective about that point. And maybe it's the the confession process or the idea that you're baptized to get, get rid of this sin that you're mm-hmm. brought into the world with or whatever it is. I find that to be something different than other faiths and something I think about more then I, then a lot more as I, as a parent or in any aspect of my life in comparison to other faiths. So that that's interesting. I was thinking about purgatory when you all were talking about, and I always thought of purgatory as this spot, the space where you're working out all of the the sins. Right? It's like yeah. Groundhog Day or something. Yeah, you know? or it's yeah, like, like a holding like, pen. You're like a holding pen. Yeah. Exactly. That's how exactly how I thought about it. Is eventually you're going to get there. I, I didn't, and may, I don't remember my teachings if it was like you. It can go either way. I always mm-hmm. thought if you got to purgatory, eventually you'd get to heaven, but I don't know if that's the actual teaching or not. That's you know? why they say like they want you to pray for souls, right? Because right. then it helps nudge. Yeah. This like, sounds a lot like the concept of reincarnation, though, too. You know, the process of working things out and going the cycle going around or until you get there. Well, know? I don't think reincarnation is like part of our catechism, but no, yeah, I'm, just, I'm <laughs> analogizing again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah ne- neither is jihad, right? Yeah. But yeah. We're, <laughs> Using maybe another term for jihad, but, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm just pointing out the yeah. parallels. That, but I think there's a lot more parallels mm-hmm. uh, between the Catholic faith and other faiths mm-hmm. than we all realize. But one of the things that we had to do when we were in high school was to, as part of our theology class one year, we had to go to a bunch of different churches mm. and experience. And you don't get much if you just go once, but. I did get enough where I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of parallels and we all make these divisions based on, oh, I'm Catholic. And so that means that I've got the fast track or Mm -hmm. you're Jewish or you're this or you're that. But I think there's a lot of parallels. I don't even really know what are the different, the exact nature of the differences between Lutherans and Presbyterians and Methodists and all the different mainstream Protestant denominations. And I suspect that a lot of those divisions occurred over theological points that don't have a lot of relevance to us today. Look at Henry VIII. He Mm -hmm. wanted to get divorced, right? right? Right. So that was one. I think a lot of them had to do with things that were going on at that time, Mm -hmm. and somebody needed an excuse to be able to do something. And so all of a sudden, we've got a new religion, Mm -hmm. right? Guys, this has been a great conversation. Can I add one more thing? So I learned this just within the last month about the Catholic Church, and this is one of the things that's been... I, my view of the Catholic Church is anytime you've got a bunch of just people running something is that you're going to have things that are not perfect, right? We're all human. Mm-hmm. And so last month, Indigenous Americans Day, Columbus Day, whatever you want to call it, one of the things that I learned about that was that the back in the day, the Catholic Church had introduced this doctrine of discovery. I don't know if y'all had heard that. Mm-hmm. And the Pope approved it. And basically, the doctrine of discovery was that if somebody discovered a land, 
you discovered it, even though somebody else was already there, it became your land. And so that's how a lot of the lands across the world became lands of white people, if you will, because that's what the Pope approved. And we actually have case law in the United States, Supreme Court case law, that was based on the doctrine of discovery. Intellectual property there, right? Yeah, and that's what I do, intellectual property. But it's just, it's interesting to me that there's been a lot of just there's a lot of history to the Catholic Church in terms of what the church or not even the church, what individuals have done who maybe act on behalf of the church over time. And I think typical of some of the things that we talked about here today, it's just a it's a reconciliation of all of those things and how we move forward and how we continue to be better as a church, as individuals within the church. There's a whole robust theology around war and just war and mm. when war is justifiable because right. it it goes against the idea of the primacy of human life and preserving human life at all but catholics have this very <laughs> highly developed by some of the greatest minds over hundreds of years of the sort of the exceptions to the rule it's very legalistic mm-hmm. in that way um, and we take a lot of that stuff for granted now, I think, but it, it is still contained in our politics all the time. When we think about, we naturally, uh, recoil at the thought of non-combatants or civilians being targeted mm-hmm. for, in acts of war like that. We all take that for granted, but it comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. a lot of it, I think comes from theology but we just take it there's all these there's a lot of threads that run through our legal and our government structures that have their roots in this tradition take us home danny closing <laughs> words i don't i don't have a lot of i, I was thinking about part of this discussion and what, what i really liked about it was this idea of i think sometimes within the catholic faith it's like, these are my beliefs therefore they influence mm-hmm. every aspect of my life how i vote how i interact with and i think I'm coming to terms with or the idea that my faith is, is personal to me, what I believe, but it's not going to dictate every aspect of my life in that way. It'll be a guiding principle, but that is something that I have tried to reconcile with, mm-hmm. that I'm not going to agree with everything the Catholic Church says or their, their stances on things, but I, I still believe very much in the faith. And so I think that's something I've, I've learned through this dialogue today but uh, or, or reinforced to me, but... Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk. And Absolutely, Steve. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for bringing us together. Certainly. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. There is, I, As I learned after setting this conversation up, there's a whole bunch of other people that could have been here having this conversation. <laughs> I, I keep running it. People keep bringing it up in mediations. They, they'll just say, yeah, Catholic. Maybe it's because of my Catholic upbringing. There is a, we're a, we are a potent cultural force in our world. And I appreciate so much you're all being here to have this conversation with me on the Steve Dunn Podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.